Hello, and welcome to another edition of Hey Ladies. This week, we're talking with the informative and the wonderful Andrea Grimes. She's super entertaining on Twitter. If you want to follow her, it's at Andrea Grimes. She is a activist journalist, uh, activism journalist with rhrealitycheck.org, which you can check out on the internet, um, obviously on the internet. And uh, she also is a columnist for the Texas Observer. I do apologize. I sound very nasally, but the cold snap here in Texas has caused some some fun issues so I hope you enjoy this interview um there is a lot of giggling I think due to us trying to laugh our way through how absurd a lot of the politics uh are here in Texas and after the midterm elections everyone needs a good laugh um so I hope if you are listening please note there's gonna be lots of talk about lady issues there's gonna be lots of talk about politics in Texas and liberalism and you're fair warned so these are the topics that be uh so please enjoy Awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining me yeah, and the indeed. Hey Ladies audience of probably like 15 people, but there are 15 really... You know what? There are 15 beautiful people. 15 so. beautiful people. <laughs> <laughs> so I thought we'd just start out if uh, you wanted to introduce yourself a little bit, how you got started kind of working in the, the media and what okay. sparked your interest, in, um, particularly with talking about politics. Okay. Um, so, uh, my name is Andrea Grimes, and I am currently a senior political reporter at rhrealitycheck.org. We are a, a non-profit online news source that covers uh, reproductive justice issues. Uh, previous to working for RHRC, I wrote for uh, Village Voice, for the Dallas Observer, um, and I studied new media um, in college, uh, but it was really in the last... Um, four or five years when Texas lawmakers started increasingly regulating reproductive health and reproductive rights that I got really interested in how uh, the state political system works here in Texas. Um, I still don't really have the mental energy to focus on national politics, uh, <laughs> but I do uh, try my hardest to understand Texas politics, which can get kind of complicated. I say, that's probably almost more exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> Especially as a woman. Mm -hmm. um, so do you come from a fairly liberal background as far nope. as your family no. goes? No. No. My, uh, let's see, I grew up uh, in a suburb of Fort Worth, and I was actually the founder and president of my high school Young Republicans Club, mm -hmm. and uh, was very conservative, grew up um, in the Methodist Church, which actually, as far as Protestant denominations go, is not as right-wing as you <laughs> can get, but... I, I, rather than rebelling it towards liberalism, I rebelled towards conservatism. Um, my parents are pretty middle-of-the-road, centrist, independent-minded people, um, so I, uh, I think I just really enjoyed uh, feeling oppressed as a white person and a Christian. As a teenager, <laughs> I fell in with these like super right-wing, straight-edge punk rock kids and I listened to a lot of Christian heavy metal and was very, I was just really a jerk to be around. <laughs> it was not like a very nice, really teenager. Um, but I ended up going to NYU for college and studying abroad in London in the course of that. And that experience changed everything that I believed and knew. Uh, so, uh, you know, when I, when I graduated college, moved back to the U.S., um, I had a much better, I think, understanding of the way um, the role that America plays and has played in international politics and the way that the American government treats and has treated 
uh, people of color, women, um, and just really like I did a complete 180 on everything that I had ever believed. Um, so uh, ever since then, um, let's see, when I graduated college was right around the time, I want to say that I was like, I think Jezebel maybe had just launched, mm -hmm. uh, Feministing was becoming popular, Salon had a blog called Broadsheet, there was Racialist, Racialicious, and a, a couple of other just really good social justice blogs, and like I would just spend all day like when I wasn't out doing reporting at my job, I would just like read these blogs and try to learn and learn and learn and learn. If it weren't for the internet, I would not be doing the work that I was doing, that I am doing today. So that really also kind of helped uh, give me a social justice con consciousness as well. Yeah, I think it's interesting because I have such a, a love-hate relationship with the internet because I love that I can, I literally can find anything and everything that I want at my mm -hmm. fingertips. Um, but at the same time, any anytime you make any sort of argument or per anything that you really believe in on the internet, there's going to be people who hate what you have said and are going to react to it. Um, and I know on websites like RH, there's a ton of very wonderful trolls who like to come <laughs> up We do um, have some really dedicated trolls, which are, which amuse me, really, because we also have our dedicated kind of what I think of as our troll hunters. Yeah. You know, we have people on RH who, like, just sit there and wait for those guys to say something and then respond with the smart, scientific, medically valid, you know, perspective on the thing. Yeah. And they'll just go back and forth for hours and hours and hours. And God bless them. They are they are doing the flying spaghetti monsters work uh, <laughs> against those those folks. Um, Have you ever felt kind of more personally attacked at all? Because I think with things like Gamergate coming mm. out of the woodwork and the amount of um, the amount of death threats women get for an expressing an opinion is, yeah. is pretty interesting. I you know I got more personal attacks lodged against me when I was a reporter working at the weekly paper in Dallas than I ever have uh, as an advocacy journalist doing the work that I do now. When I was young, um, you know, when I was starting out 22 years old, uh, you know, working at the paper, I would get a lot of really creepy, like, middle-aged guys that would send me, like, highly specific, harassy kinds of emails and comments and stuff. Um, and I just don't get that kind of thing anymore. I write less about my per personal life mm -hmm. these days than I probably used to. Um, but, uh, these days I get more of the kind of anonymous, uh, you know, yelly, screamy, you know, could be talking to me, could be talking to Amani Gandhi, could be talking to Jessica Valenti, like yeah. just whatever mad conservative person. I get more of that kind of generic hatred these days. I'm not particularly, I don't fear a lot for my safety. I fear a lot for other people's mental health. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. I, uh, since this project of mine is fairly new, I've, I, I kind of had my first argument with someone where I felt like I needed to make my opinion and I was like, I'm going to have to learn to, to not react because it's going to be there forever and always and people are going to comment on things and it was just mostly the fact that <laughs> there's cats in the room for the sorry listeners. guys my cats are having a flip out moment because that's what they do in life it's all um, good i love cats so we're, um, we're totally fine. yeah i mean it's tough to like know what to do with a troll a lot of the times because some trolls i feel like are worth responding to in that i think it's important to show people how bad it can get mm -hmm. Um, you know, in the last week, I've been getting a lot of harassment over the um, 
white women uh, piece on on the way white mm-hmm. women voted that I wrote last week um, following the Wendy Davis abject failure. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I was getting a lot of really pointed, kind of kooky, scary stuff from people and really kind of hateful and angry. So occasionally I would respond to those folks um, just to show people, to let them know, like, how bad it can be sometimes. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, you can't, I mean, I'm sure that you know this. If you try and, like, you swat can't, down you can't every... You crazy. <laughs> like, you can't swat down every, every yeah. like, little gopher that's popping up through their little holes. So, yeah, indeed. Selective it's, engagement. Yeah, it's very true. Um, so, kind of moving into the, the midterm elections and kind of what the state of Texas is going to be for, for women and really around the country... Um, I thought it was interesting how everyone's like the Democratic Party, you know, needs to revamp themselves and they need to do all these things. And um, I think it was John Stewart the other night pulled clips of them all saying the exact same thing about the Republican Party two years ago. And I was like, <laughs> it just keeps repeating, guys. Like, um, I just keep telling myself this uh, fantastic quote from Henry Rollins, which is like, when times get tough, the average get conservative. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Uh, Well, and, you know, I have not uh, in my lifetime really, apart from some of the the rhetoric that was happening around the first time Obama ran for president and some of the stuff that's happened with the ACA and the fact that the ACA exists, Mm -hmm. I've not ever seen Democrats be aggressively progressive, Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and I'm 31 years old. I don't have a, I have a sense of Democrats trying to manage a lot of bad stuff that Republicans have passed successfully and implemented successfully, uh, but I don't I don't see Democrats at this point as being anything other than reactionary, and I think that was a failure of Wendy Davis's campaign is that she let Greg Abbott define a lot of the conversation around that election, mm-hmm. um, although I think she lost for a lot of other reasons as well. But, you know, I think Democrats have failed to do a lot of stuff in terms of really aggressively pushing for immigration reform. Uh, You know, I mean, they just dropped the ball on that and they could really, that was a great opportunity not only to pass immigration reform or to attempt to because we should, but because it gives people of color something to care about and look forward to and a reason to turn out at the voting booth. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and I think the same thing happened with um, with reproductive health is that it's always kind of fight, deflect, block instead of aggressively push forward. Um, and so that, to me, I, I felt like... I was disappointed and sad and like, you know, crying into my box wine on Tuesday <laughs> night. But I would, I'm not sure that I was 100% surprised. Yeah, I mean, I really wasn't that surprised about Wendy. It was, um, I was more surprised about Letitia Vandepew mm-hmm. because I think Dan Patrick is absolutely batshit crazy. Like, I was like, do people not read things that he openly posts for people to consume? Like, the Bible and guns are the two most important things <laughs> on this planet and we don't teach them in schools. And yeah. and I saw one of the first, um, you know, house bills that's uh, been put up for the schedule or whatever, mm-hmm. um, has, is about loosening gun control. Oh my gosh, the, yes, yeah. I mean, it's, ba- I, uh, Jonathan Sticklin's uh, gun bill is basically like free guns for everyone, no license, no registration, take them everywhere except for bars and jail. I mean, like, that's <laughs> basically, he just, he wants to like hand literally all people guns and have us carrying them everywhere. 
which is really horrifying. Um, And, you know, there's... I, I do not actually know what to think about the upcoming session because Dan Patrick, in my opinion, is so deeply uninterested in learning how to govern and govern well. Mm-hmm. And being kind of a nuanced uh, negotiator and cooperator is actually a really important skill for the lieutenant governor to have if we're going to get any legislation at all passed. I mean, even if we're talking about Republican stuff. Yeah. Um, you know, he's really got to, he's going to have to learn finesse very quickly. And I, I don't think he actually wants to do that or is interested in doing that. And I know that the Republican establishment is not his biggest fan. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think we saw that in the run up to the election was that he had trouble, um, getting endorsements and, you know, kind of the thumbs up from the Texas GOP. So I think it's going to be kind of difficult for, I just, I don't know what he's going to do. Like I, I, that's the scariest thing about Dan Patrick is that he is an unpredictable legislator and an unpredictable advocate. You just, he's no, he does not follow a pattern of, for anything. It's gonna be one interesting session, I know. And uh, I think it's so interesting that people don't pay more attention to the local. I mean, midterms have always had lower voter turnout, Mm -hmm. um, but it's really like the midterms and your local elections are really what dictate how you live your life. Mm -hmm. And I, um, it just boggles my mind the how many people run un like. I'm searching for the word here. Unopposed. Unopposed, Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah. And that's really, um, I think, uh, certainly in Texas, obviously we're the the least voting state by populace of any state in the U.S. Uh, We make it very hard for people to vote. I don't think we do enough voter education or civic education uh, in like junior highs and high schools. Um, it's just, I, I don't, somehow voting and being, and participating in local politics is not part of Texas civic culture, which is strange to me given how kind of gung-ho and independent-minded Texans are. Mm -hmm. I find it strange that we don't have this as part of our Texas civic engagement culture, but we don't really. Uh, so, you know, you can be you know, an 18 year old who, you know, just thinks that maybe elections happen every four years, maybe, or what, like, I think people are really confused about that. And, you know, I think, um, you know, when it's a historic opportunity, people are excited about voting. But as you said, you know, your local elections and your just a little piddly crap. Yeah. You know, like you're, you're like the stuff at the back of the ballot, (laughs) stuff at the back of the ballot, you know, like here in Austin, you know, whether we have a rail system or a not rail system or whether ACC gets a new building, or, you know, all of these things like actually do change the way your daily life goes mm-hmm. and people like just totally check out on it. Um, you talked about it a little bit ago, but the, um, and you also wrote a piece about the, the white women um, voter turnout mm-hmm. and kind of the failure of women to women. Um, can you talk a little bit more about how that all went down? Sure. Yeah. So, uh, you know, looking at the exit poll data from the midterms, I was, again, dismayed but not perhaps surprised to see how low 
to see the, the low numbers at which white women, particularly white married women, particularly college-educated white affluent married women, uh, did not turn out for Wendy Davis. You know, despite the fact that Wendy Davis, with the exception of not being married, uh, is all of those things, is white, is affluent, is college-educated. Um, you know, what I was wondering, kind of, what is that thing that stops people like me, affluent married white ladies, mm -hmm. from voting for an affluent married white lady? Like, it's it <laughs> seems like it would be the most natural thing yeah. to trust her experience, to trust... Um, her vision for Texas, uh, not only because she, you know, kind of looks like me and women like me, but because that should feel familiar and reliable, um, especially in a candidate like Wendy Davis, who was so incredibly smart and who had such, in my opinion, good plans. Mm -hmm. uh, and so, you know, the, the conclusion that I draw there um, is that there's, there's something standing between married white women and voting for a Democrat in Texas that has in some part to be explained by uh, a reluctance to empower marginalized people for fear of losing what little women have gained so far. Um, you know, I think it feels safer to align with husbands, with patriarchy, with white men, and to play that role of good wife, good daughter, you know, good helpmeet, mm -hmm. <laughs> basically, uh, and to and to believe in the almost respectability politics of doing that, believe in the benevolence of of white dudes. Uh, it's easier, feel safer somehow to do that than to go out on that limb and mm -hmm. say, you know, I care about immigration reform even though I'm a white lady. Or I care about, uh, you know, universal pre-K even though I don't have any kids. Mm -hmm. You know, you have to want better for other people. And, like, white ladies are just not doing that or they're either not reflecting that in their voting patterns. Uh, so I wanted to start a conversation with other white women, you know, and just ask them, why why Greg Abbott and not Wendy Davis? Mm -hmm. You know, because to me, it's the, the empathetic vote is always with the person that wants to go with better access to health care, you know, better, uh, you know, driver's licenses for uh, unauthorized folks. You know, all of those things seem like the more reasonable, more empathetic, more sharing, warm, fuzzy kind of, I, I mean, but I mean, I'm commie socialist, so whatever. <laughs> it's okay, I'm Canadian. You're in a good room. Um, but, you know, that just seems like the empathetic choice, and white ladies aren't doing it, and I want to know why. Well, do you... So, it's interesting, because I looked... Like, I just have to block a lot of family members who voted for Dan Abbott and people who are like, bye, Wendy. Um, uh -huh. And... Um, but I feel like the the conversation is like, well, it doesn't affect me, mm -hmm. so why would I vote for something that I'm like a little iffy on? Yeah. Like, oh, I'm gonna have to pay more taxes for things that I don't think I need to pay for. Like, mm -hmm. oh, I don't use these services and I don't need to do these things. But I just mm -hmm. don't. I, I don't understand his. I, as a person, you cannot care about <laughs> other people. Yeah. Like, I don't and, and, and exactly. understand that. In like 1914. 
you had to get other people to want to let you to vote and to have these yeah. opportunities. And if you if that didn't happen, you wouldn't mm-hmm. even be able to cast your opinion. And mm-hmm. I completely think everyone is welcome to their own opinions. I'm glad people showed up to vote. And the little that did. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> boggles my mind. And that's why I call it a crisis of empathy. Like, yeah. it's some really deep failure to give a crap about whether other people have access to the same things that you have access to. I mean, it's it's clear, we know, like, it's demonstrable that, for example, the policies that Texas has enacted that have to do with uh, access to affordable health care and access to affordable reproductive care, our maternal mortality rate is atrocious, mm-hmm. and it's getting worse. But it's only bad for black women and Latino women and other women of color. It's not... It's not a bad maternal mortality rate for white women, except for probably the poorest white women. And so how can, like, that to me, you know, on that alone, like, don't you want your sisters to, like, not die (laughs) but giving birth to the babies that we're going to force them to give birth to? And they don't, like, it's, no, no, no more Medicaid. Boo, expansion. (laughs) Welcome to Texas, where we don't want you to have an abortion, but we're not going to provide you with birth control. Exactly, right. Because we make total sense. (laughs) It's just, it's really disappointing, and it makes me sad. And I know that so many Texans are capable of doing better. I know that people can be convinced. I know that people can be talked to. I know that women in my own family who voted Republican for decades voted for Leticia and Wendy because, like, we had a hundred conversations about why that was important and why it was important to me. And they also realized, I think, the deep corruption in the Republican Party and Abbott and Patrick. Money won the election this year. (laughs) Right. So, like, I know that we can cultivate that empathy if we talk to people, if if progressive liberal women talk to people about why we vote the way we do. Mm -hmm. I think that we kind of don't a lot of times. Again, like, the, the Democratic Party as an institution seems to not be very aggressive. And progressive individuals seem to not be very aggressive in terms of Mm -hmm. talking about why we believe the things that we do we we, progressivism is not fundamentally evangelical in that way that conservatism i think Mm -hmm. tends to be uh so you know i just want to start more conversations about that kind of thing yeah and tell people that it's okay to be a liberal in texas (laughs) especially white ladies all 10 of you listening (laughs) (laughs) tell your family Um, tell your family um so what do you think is um, kind of next for the Democratic Party and, and liberals in Texas and what are kind of some upcoming fights that we're going to have to be prepared for, especially in, well, with HB2 and some court cases right. and kind of what's, what's going well, on Well, so now that HB2 is in the, ha- in, the, in the hands of the Fifth Circuit, which is a horrifying and terrifying thing that keeps me up at night. Uh, because the Fifth Circuit is so deeply conservative and irrational. Was it the Fifth or the Sixth Circuit that just denied the... The Sixth. That was the Sixth. Okay. Yeah. Um, You were talking about About the the, other case? Yeah. Well, the Sixth Circuit Court, I think, just denied the marriage Marriage equality. equality. Yes. Right. Yeah. Um, So the Fifth Circuit uh, now has HB2 to look at. Um, They'll hear it in January. Um, And I, I don't think anybody's confused or, like unclear on what they're going to rule. They're going to say it's perfectly constitutional and then abortion providers will challenge it and that'll go to the Supreme Court. And I, I, 
that's just like a roll of the dice for me. Like, I know we have four strong progressive judges that will see the merits of, of declaring law unconstitutional, and then the other bunch, like, Robert's Kennedy, maybe they'll see reason? Who knows? Anyway, so that's kind of scary. But that's going to be a long fight. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, in the meantime, we're lucky in Texas that we have such great resources, like abortion funds and Fund Texas Choice and the TEA Fund, Lilith Fund, um, that can help people in the meantime. Um, you know, in terms of what's coming up for the legislature, I think that uh, guns are going to be a big to do. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, there will probably be some, uh, you know, there's a lot of education stuff. <laughs> a lot of education stuff. I, I think the Democrats have a lot of really well-intentioned, smart, reasonable stuff proposed. They've already proposed minimum wage increases. They've already proposed pre-K. Uh, they've proposed marriage equality. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, if any of that even makes it anywhere close to a committee, it's going to It'd be lovely to hear our handful of Democrats talk about how great it is, but I don't mm-hmm. think it has a lot of potential to go anywhere. Yeah. Um, I think the big fights, um, if there are uh, any any if if there are things that are really contentious, um, are going to be you know budgetary um, related to how we um, you know allocate property taxes versus sales taxes. And I know Dan Patrick is huge on his plan to get rid of property taxes and raise sales taxes because America reasons, whatever. <laughs> um, so that'll be... Dan Patrick <laughs> Because of Dan Patrick reasons. Um, you know, that'll be a big thing. You know, on the reproductive health front, I think we can expect um, definitely to see um, the erosion of, of any ability of minors to get abortion care at all uh, without parental consent. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we can pretty much say goodbye to a judicial bypass for abortion care for minors in Texas. Um, I wouldn't be 100% shocked to see them try and do some kind of personhood-related measure. Like Tennessee. Uh, Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, there's precedent for that in other states Mm -hmm. now. And, um, you know, the anti-choice groups, which actually are kind of divided on personhood, you know, anti-choice groups really have um, a lot of push uh, with some of the more extreme legislators that we've elected. Um, so that could definitely that could be a thing that happens. Um, I like I honestly though think that the session is going to be pretty deadlocked. It's mm-hmm. circusy. I mean, I, I think that the, you know, establishment GOP guys don't want to deal with the Connie Burtons that have been elected. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Patrick is clearly uninterested in trying to do anything reasonable. Um, I, it's, I don't see them getting a lot done. I think it's going to be a lot of fighting and infighting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't see this as some, as a, as a group of legislators that has a lot of potential to, to pass you know, a lot of bills. <laughs> pass a lot of bills, make government work, all those things that we want <laughs> for government to do. Things your government, <laughs> things that you've hired this government right. to do. Yeah. Um, very interesting. Is there anything you're really looking forward to writing about in the next couple of weeks? Oh, golly balls. Um, I, let's see. 
you know, I am pretty excited about um, shifting some of my focus to writing about um, uh, criminal justice issues with regard to pregnant people and also uh, family detention, um, the detainment of uh, women and children who mm -hmm. cross the border in South Texas. Um, I think that uh, people who are interested in reproductive rights uh, tend many times, particularly in the media, to kind of stop and start with abortion. Mm -hmm. And abortion is the hot button issue because it's the issue that the anti-choicers have focused on so specifically. Um, and they're so loud and vocal about yeah. it. And uh, But really, you know, I mean, Texas is, and the U.S., um, is doing all kinds of really horrible things to people who would like to be pregnant um, and to people who would like to have healthy families um, and children. And I, writing about that aspect, you know, of the criminalization of drug use during pregnancy, incarceration of pregnant women for drug use, um, family detention, you know, all of these things tie into what I, what is the larger mission of reproductive justice mm -hmm. uh so i'm kind of uh i'm excited about getting to write about some of that stuff um especially before the legislature starts because that's just going to be a non-stop circus management there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah i think it's it's so difficult for me sometimes to explain to people that like planned parenthood isn't just where you go for like abortions uh -huh. I was like you know when I was poor and in college that's where I went for all of my checkups mm -hmm. I was like I probably would have ended up with cervical cancer if mm -hmm. I did not go there on a regular basis because they were wonderful people who provided mm -hmm. me all of those treatments mm -hmm. um it's it's outstanding how yeah. crazy people are um but <laughs> uh is there I always um like asking women about other women in their profession and kind of what you think is the state of women in, in journalism and in media? Um. Well, um, let's see. Uh, you know, I think in terms of online media, um, I, I mean, I'm biased because I work for Art Reality Check, <laughs> but I actually think we have an incredible staff and a really diverse leadership um, and uh, we're a news organization that I think is committed to learning and trying to do better all the time. And I see that in a lot of online publications that I really like. Color Lines is fantastic. Um, uh, you know, Mother Jones is great, although mm -hmm. a little bit white, um, which is fine. Um, but, <laughs> you know, I think, uh, I think right now there are lots of women that are starting and having really important conversations about uh, what the internet means for writing and for journalism mm -hmm. um, and what the future of that is, particularly like in light of Twitter harassment and mm -hmm. Gamergate and, um, you know, you've got... <laughs> indeed. And you've got, you know, you've got people like Mickey Kindle, who's at Carnithia uh, on Twitter, you know, who has been a really powerful voice for, for people of color, and, you know, now she's writing for, um, you know, some major publication, getting some attention there. Um, you know, there are just a lot of... I'm excited about the diversity that social media is is kind of allowing people to see. And I... I just like it when, like, we don't think that the New York Times and the New Yorker and the Atlantic and 
you know, all of those are like the beginning and end of the conversations mm-hmm. that we have. Uh, so I think I might be the most excited just generally that, generally that the internet exists. <laughs> Um, and what that means for journalism right now, mm-hmm. um, because I think it really is and can be a democratizing force. Um, I mean, it's also kind of a scary hellhole sometimes, uh, but yeah. I think, um, I love, like, like I was saying earlier, I have this love-hate relationship with the internet because mm-hmm. I think it's, it is a great place that, um, people can kind of hone their skills and share their opinions and do some really interesting work and start really interesting conversations. But at the same time, there are the amount of people who post things on Facebook, like joke, <laughs> like they are joke satirical articles and people think they are real. Yeah. And I'm just like, do people not just like give it a Google, <laughs> just like one Google guys, nope. just one before no, you hit the share don't. button. No, they don't. Um, but some of those sites look pretty legit. Like, I yeah. I almost hit the repost, luckily I Googled first, on, like, something that was, like, there's going to be a solar storm and we're going to be dark for two days. And I was, because it says NASA confirms. And I was like, NASA confirms? What? <laughs> and so then I go on the NASA website and I was like, nope, nope, uh, this is a joke. The one that I always see people get successfully trolled by is the Borowitz Report on, uh, I guess, New Yorker, maybe one of those two. Um, anyway, it's kind of a satirical, oniony little column that this guy writes, and it's just, it's like just too close to home. Like, it's just <laughs> too, it's too true sometimes, and I see people get trolled with that one a lot. Uh, but I, you know, I've been enjoying the, the onions, uh, their click hole, mm-hmm. their BuzzFeed imitator, um, and actually, like, BuzzFeed has been doing some really good, legitimate journalism. Some of their long-form stuff is, is actually really fantastic. good. It's, yeah. It's beyond the, like, 12 pieces of toast you should have tomorrow morning. Uh-huh. Like, Well, and, and also, uh, Medium uh, has been putting out some really good stuff. Uh, Sarah Kenzer, who's done some great work around the Ferguson protests. Um, I've seen a couple of, I think she did a, a piece on... Uh, fast food workers that was on medium that was just fantastic um so i don't know something something is happening to the internet where we're getting these great kind of longer form more interesting investigative takes on stuff that to me is just more interesting than like knowing that on slate tomorrow i'm gonna hear the like 400 word why you shouldn't care about blah yeah like reactionary thing like I really I appreciate actually the being able to go in a little more depth uh and that's something that is coming from some surprising places I think um well any last words or comments or anything Vote in your local elections next time, <laughs> next, guys. <laughs> next time. The runoffs. The runoffs yes, are coming. Yes, indeed. The runoffs are coming. <laughs> I live in District 2, so there was no runoffs. But <laughs> Our guy, I'm in District 9, and Chris Riley dropped out, uh, so we're going to have Kathy Tovo. She's not the worst or anything, but I was kind of pumped about Chris Riley, so I'm sad that he's not going to do a runoff with her because... Uh, I just love local politics so much. It's like it's better than sports. It's so good. I uh, 
I'm going to go on another tangent really quick. But, the, like, when they posted, um, I think the Austin American Statesman had, like, how much money the local city council people had mm-hmm. raised, like, in each district, like, really early on. And I was like, oh, I should take a look at District 2. Like, I already knew I was going to vote for Delia Garza. Mm-hmm. Um, and and then I looked, and it was, like, there was, like, ten people listed for District 2, and there's only two people who would raise any money. And yeah. I was like, well, those are the only two that will probably make it onto the ballot. Yep. And then <laughs> um, what's up in, like, the West Hills, like, District Ten. Yeah, not a uh, ten. District ten, ten was the other one that was had like the, the massive amounts of money. Uh-huh. I was just like, holy cow! Like this is crazy sauce. <laughs> yeah, uh, it was really incredible. I'm looking forward to the mayoral runoff. Actually, um, I voted for Shelby Cole. Um, Cheryl Cole, sorry, <laughs> I voted for Cheryl Cole. Um, but I think Mike Martinez would be great too, and I'm looking forward to voting for him. Um, although Steve Adler just has gobs of money, yeah, so probably looking at Mayor Steve, but still. Yeah, Adler's not terrible either, no. but yeah. <laughs> it just seems strange to, to have another white man in charge. But. Oh, but it's our tradition. <laughs> <laughs> Following in traditions. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. No- Sorry about that cutoff there, folks. I think we might have had a cat jump up onto the desk. Luckily, it was at the very end of the interview. But thank you again so much to Andrea Grimes. She was amazing and informative. And um, if you can, check out some of her writing and her work. Again, she is on RH Reality Check. Uh, you can also find her at the Texas Observer or on Twitter at, at Andrea Grimes. Excuse me. Um, I thank you for turning in to another edition of the Hey Ladies podcast. We'll be back again very soon. I'm lining up some more interviews. If you have any ideas of people who I should talk to, or if you have any questions, comments, concerns, shoot me a line. It's heyladiespodcast at gmail.com for entertaining gifts and other things that I find pertinent to lady topics. You can check out our blog. It is heyladiespodcast.tumblr.com. And again, thanks for tuning in. Have a wonderful rest of the week.